Hey everybody, welcome to the You Are Born for This podcast with Father John Ricardo. That's me. I'm your host, Father John. I am the executive director at Acts 29, where we talk about anything and everything related to transforming the church. Mary, we are definitely talking about a topic that brings transformation in the church today, aren't we, sister? Oh my gosh. Happy we Easter sure to you. Are. Happy Easter to you, Father John. And happy Easter to everybody. I can't wait to dive into this. What is our topic? So Father John, our topic today is impossible to describe. Like that's literally... That's yeah. literally, oh, that's so, literally uh, nice the name of the topic. That's it. We don't have anything to say because it's impossible, impossible to, describe. to describe. It is. So, Father John, before we jump in, how about you open us up in prayer? Let's do that. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, in these extraordinary days of Easter, we just ask for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit upon us. Lord, help us to understand like we never have before what we're celebrating at this time, that it changes everything. Forgive us for the ways that we've gotten used to the magnificent, for the times that we've just flown through Easter, failed to linger on these truths, let it truly transform our minds, our imaginations, our way of living, our gratitude, everything. And so, Lord, we just pray for your grace to be upon us now, that this conversation we would be edifying and encouraging and bring hope to all those who are listening. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Father and the Son, and the, the, Son, Holy, the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. All right. Yeah, so I just want to um, tee this up for you guys. So we were in the—so it was last week, last Easter Tuesday— uh, we were in the chapel celebrating Mass, right, Father John? And you. Standing room only crowd. It was you, Chris. <laughs> it, was, it was all of four Kelly of us. And me. It was packed. <laughs> it was packed. And, and the homily that day was. Um, Phenomenal. From the gospel. The, uh, the gospel that day was from the Gospel of John, where Mary Magdalene encounters Jesus at yep. the tomb. And your homily that day, I don't know what, I don't know what its impact on Kelly or Chris was. But it wrecked me, Father John. So I walked into chapel that day with a whole set of things on my mind, like my mind was preoccupied with a set of things. And you gave us this challenging word. And I think I just was in the, I think I lingered in the chapel stunned and convicted about what it is we're going to talk about. And I have to tell you, I haven't been the same since, but we'll talk about that. But I was just so convicted that the word that you shared with us was just not for the four of us that were in the chapel that it was a word for everybody because I know it deeply impacted you in prayer, and I know it touched me deeply. Yeah, I haven't been the same since either. So, uh, oh my yeah, gosh, that's so I, glorious! You share that. So, uh, so let's do this. Let's 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 hear the gospel again, and I'm gonna, so I'm going to read the gospel, and remember this as we hear this. So, when the gospel is proclaimed, it's not the mere retelling of a story that happened a long time ago. It's an event that's happening now. This is most especially true in the context of Mass, obviously, but it's true even right now. So some of us who are listening um, are like Magdalene was on Easter Sunday morning, which is to say distraught, devastated, um, wrecked in a different way than what you just right. referred to, Mary. Um, you know, maybe it's a loss of a loved one. Maybe it's um, health challenges in our own lives. Maybe it's just things that we are absolutely preoccupied with and here we are and 
life is just all gone wrong. And so into wherever we might be right now, um, this proclamation is proclaimed. So let's, let's listen. Let's let the Holy Spirit just move. So this is John chapter 20, verses 11 to 18. Mary Magdalene stayed outside the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she bent over into the tomb and saw two angels in white sitting there, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken my Lord, and I don't know where they laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus there, but did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? She thought it was the gardener and said to him, Sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you laid him and I will take him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop holding on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and tell them, I am going to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and then reported what he had told her. So I was praying that morning, just, uh, you know, trying to linger with the scriptures. And so we, you and I actually, uh, together with your husband, Steve, we've been in uh, Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. I've been there a couple of times. I, I, every time I pray with this gospel, I picture where this happened. I mean, I've prayed in the spot where this happened, if not the exact spot. It's within like 20 yards, right? It's a small little right. area. And so I, I can picture this very easily in my mind, right? So. And, and as immediately as I was praying with this, I just felt like I wanted to repent for all the times that like I have thingified, if this is an evil word, reified the resurrection. Like 25 years a priest and I've proclaimed this gospel every year. This is unbelievable what's happening here. I mean, it's impossible to read this gospel out loud the way Mary would have told this gospel or the way John was trying to communicate it. And so... As I was trying to organize my own thoughts from the prayer experience, I kind of broke them up into three things. So the first was, we have to become like children. Second is, an embodiment of what it means to be a child. And then third is a promise. So first, we have to become like children. So we all know this passage, right? Jesus says, unless you become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of God. So what's that mean? Well, it means tons of things. But one of the things that hit me that day in a particular way, what do children have? And again, they have lots of things. But what struck me that day was children have no inhibitions, right? I mean, they're just totally unabashed. Um, They're unashamed. um, They're unrestrained. They don't hold back. Like if I'm ecstatic, I'm running around the room. If I'm sad, I'm bawling my eyes out. I just don't care. If I'm mad, I'm pounding my head up against the wall, right? So children just don't hold back. They're not like, oh, I don't think this would be proper. Um, They're just unrestrained, right? And so that came to me as I was praying because I think Mary is an embodiment of this. So 
it's impossible. We talk all the time on podcast and at our work, right? How much the chosen has influenced how I pray with the scriptures Absolutely. And, and how I picture Magdalene, right? So yep. I'm, I'm looking at Magdalene in the gospel, like Magdalene and the chosen. And especially in the back of my mind is that scene in the first episode when Jesus first meets Magdalene and she's walking out of the tavern and he calls her by name. That's going to be very important in this gospel, right? So, okay, that's children. How is Mary an embodiment of this? Four things that I think are, are important to keep in mind, um, not all of which have to do with Mary. But the first is, look at her face. So in other words, so here, here she is. Jesus has the gall to ask her the question, woman, why are you crying? Like, I know darn well why you're crying, right? But it's almost like God's being playful here. He's teasing out. Because how do you just tell her, uh, sister, you have no idea that your life is about to change. (laughs) So I'm just going to milk this for all I can. That's how I I picture this. This is the playful Jesus, right? And so he says to her, why why are you crying? And then I picture, like, I'm trying to picture her face because what struck me in the gospel, Jesus, uh, or Mary rather, has turned her back to Jesus because it says he asks her, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? She thought it was the gardener, and then she must have turned away after she says, Sir, if you carried him, tell me where. Because when Jesus calls her by name, John says she turned. So in other words, she's looked at him, figured this guy's somebody I don't know. She's focused back again on the tomb, the place where Jesus was, and then she hears her name from the man who changed her life. And I'm trying to picture her face before she's turned. And, and her face is is embodying something like, uh, no, like, no way. It's not possible. Like, these things don't happen. How can a man who I saw slaughtered on a cross, and then she turns and it's him. So the first thing I'm trying to picture is her face. The second thing is his face. So again, I'm, I'm thinking of the character that plays Jesus in The Chosen, who I just love. And, you know, Jesus isn't just, you know, standing there with his hands folded and his arms crossed around himself, looking at her going, Mary. Um, he's got to be just laughing. Like, can you believe this? Like, look at me. Here I am. I am alive. And he's just got to be... Um, just bounding with joy and her face as she sees him. And then the third thing is I'm trying to picture her running. Like, what did that look like? Her seeing him fall into her knees, hearing him talk to her, and then like, I got to go tell, I got to go tell John. I got to go tell Peter. I got to go tell everybody. And I'm watching her like a skittle in that game where she's just (laughs) bouncing off the walls, trying to get to every room she can and every person that she knows who knew Jesus and to say to him, he is alive. (laughs) Like, no, 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 no. He's alive. Like, he's alive. Really, he's alive. And their face is looking at her like, what in the world are you talking about? Dead people don't come back to life. And she just can't restrain herself. She could care less. What she looks like. What she looks like, what they think, how they respond. And then the last thing, huh, is this promise. Because Jesus promises her or promises through her to the 12. You will see me. So Mary, go tell my brothers. They're going to see me. 
You don't have to convince them. I remember when I was first ordained, uh, right before I was ordained, actually praying with this passage, just finding so much consolation in this passage. It was like the Lord said, you don't have to convince them alive. You just have to tell them where to meet me. Like, they're going to meet me in the Eucharist. They're going to meet me in my word. They're going to meet me in the poor. Don't, don't worry about putting it on yourselves to convince them. And so Mary's not preoccupied with convincing. We're so often preoccupied with, how am I going to get somebody to believe this? That's not my job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. You just deliver the mail. He's alive. Like, how do I know that? I've seen him. And so the Lord promises us too, you will see me. And I haven't been able to to get that passage out of my head since Tuesday, Tuesday in an entirely new way. So you'd mentioned that you haven't been the same since. Yeah. Why? So, so even as I'm listening to you share this again, um, it leaves me somewhat dumbstruck. So father John, sometimes, you know, when, when you're talking to your brother priest, you talk about how comfortable y'all can get with handling the magnificent and that thought came to my mind in chapel on Tuesday, like, I have gotten so comfortable, and how can I, with the resurrection? And to your point that you made earlier, like, the chosen has changed the way I read the Gospels, at least up until the point that, well, now I have, you know, uh, images in my mind of Magdalene and Jesus and Peter and James and John and whatnot, and because of what you just said, maybe that's why I was so touched because now I have a face for a Magdalene and I have mm -hmm. a face for Jesus because of this episode. Um, so I, w I, I was convicted that I've gotten comfortable with the resurrection. And, and those who don't know me um, might, I don't know, may or may not be surprised. Um, I, I, I would describe myself as intense. No. <laughs> and... I think because I'm described as intense, sometimes I, I try to dial it back a little bit. And Magdalene doesn't. Mary Magdalene doesn't. Like, she's just, she comes literally unglued. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes I try to contain my posture. So I come across as maybe want to articulate myself well. And I don't want people to think like I'm absolutely a whack job. Because when it comes to the Lord and the Word of God and mission and all of that, I can get very, very animated. That, you know, that's, that's part of it. And in the days that followed, there was one morning I got up. I think I told you at 4 o'clock in the morning. I just wanted to sit with the Lord and the Word of God. Mm. And I just wanted to ponder that all over again. At night, I find myself doing it again. I'm not sure I've gotten past Tuesday's gospel. Like, I've been sitting for days with that. And I also was thinking, dude, when I walked into the chapel that Tuesday, I had something on my mind that's been on my mind for days. And I walked into the chapel with that. You share this beautiful anointed word. And I thought, oh my gosh, everything that's on my mind right now in the grand scale of life just doesn't matter. Why? Because that tomb is empty and Jesus is alive and he's real. And I thought, he can handle what's on my mind. So I'm just going to give this to you right now. Because right now, I want to experience what Magdalene experienced. And, you know, just in the, in the subsequent conversations that I've had, Father John, with my friends and with my family in the day since you preached that word, I have tried to be true to who I am which means I've come un undone and unglued 
and I have shared with them from the depth of my being who I am, my joy, my tears, this intense person that I am saying that it's just okay. Like I'm not going to hold back anymore. I think especially because of the days in which we live. Mm. And I just found her. I just found that whole gospel story, I experienced it in such an incredible new way. And, you know, oftentimes when we look back in our in our walk with Jesus, we'll look back on certain events that I, I often will call markers in my life. I think Tuesday's gospel was a marker in my life that I pray has forever changed me. Amen. Praise God. I hope so. I, you know, I, I think often, you know, March Madness is just in the rearview mirror, and I'm a huge basketball fan, and... Um, I'm a big Michigan fan. I'm a Michigan grad. And I was, you know, just, I was with Deacon Steve. We were coming back from Phoenix doing some talks out there and having to watch him beat Florida State. And I mean, I was just giddy. I mean, like Steve would tell you, I was, he's like, man, you are in a good mood. I'm like, yes, I am. And, um, and, and, and a lot of us relate to things like that to sports. You know, you be, um, you know, Baylor wins the national championship and there's, you know, parties in the streets and people are running around and rightly so, great accomplishment. That's a basketball game. That's right. You know, death has been destroyed. Like, I know the man who holds in his hands the keys of death. You know, like, which doesn't mean all of my problems just disappear. No, they don't. And they magically go away. But at the same time, it really means nothing else ultimately matters. Like, it changes everything. And if we don't know that, we don't know what we're celebrating, for crying out loud. Easter is extraordinary. It is impossible to describe, and there's a reason why the church celebrates Easter for 50 days. It's trying to teach us how to celebrate. We don't know how to celebrate. We have a, we have a party and we move on. No, no, no. You don't, you don't just have a party and move on from the fact of death has been defeated. Sin has no hold on me anymore. Um, the enemy has been bound. And everything is different. And you and I living with all the fear and all the anxiety and everything that's happening all around us. Good grief. We are like Magdalene running into the rooms of people who have lost hope. And I really don't care if I can or can't convince you. That's not to say that we don't want to be credible, that we don't want to be, you know, dignified when we should be dignified Mm -hmm. and put together. I'm not going to be wacky. I promise you that, you know, but, um, gosh, I mean, if, if, if as we share what the Lord has done and our experience of him being alive and the hope that's in us, if we do it in a stoic fashion, it's probably not very convincing. We're not going to win a lot of folks. At least it's not true to who you are and it's certainly not true to who I am. So this is true, people. Like, Jesus is alive, you know? Like, ah, this is amazing. And it's all happened for you. Like, this all happened for you. By name. It all happened for me. By name. And the Lord wants us to encounter him in these days. That's his promise. You will see me, whether it's in the chapel, in the Eucharist, whether it's in serving the poor, whether it's meeting him in his word, whether it's in your spouse or your children or your best friend, you will see me. And then he sends us to go tell others who we've Mm -hmm. seen. So, because this is all true, and because the world we are longing for is so desperate to hear this, even though they don't know it. Do not be afraid. The risen Lord is with you. And you were born for this. 